greetings in Jesus' name this morning. Before I get to the message, I'll just give a little update on Lydia. There, I put a picture on the bulletin board back there of her team there in um, Iraq. Um, she said they're planning this week to move to Dryston Land, and so we can pray that the process there would go well. She said the process um, has went very smoothly so far, and they're kind of surprised by how smooth it went, so they're not sure if there's more roadblocks coming or any or that. They weren't expecting it to move quite this fast, but they're planning to move this week, so we pray for them. I heard a couple um, themes this morning. Um, I think Thomas mentioned this morning about um, in the end times, um, you'll be loving themselves more. And... Um, and then Phil mentioned about the love of many will wax cold. I guess the message this morning will have somewhat to do with love. Um, if you want a title to it, um, that you love one another. I will be taking it from John 13. Um, and so I'll be reading that chapter here shortly. And I know love can maybe sound like a old or a boring topic. Maybe we all know what it is. But... John 13 here, the whole chapter not only talks about it, but also gives us an example of what that should look like. Also, as we um, go into the next about five chapters here of John, um, like I think I mentioned last time, these last... Well, not the last, but the next four or five chapters are the, the last words of Jesus about um, 24, 24 hours before he's on the cross. And uh, McLaren says that nowhere else is his speech at once so simple and so deep. Nowhere else have we the heart of God so unveiled to us. He's referring to John 13 through 17 there. And, and 13... The chapter we're going to go into today talks about or goes into his private ministry with his disciples there. I have to read our key verse again in um, chapter 20, verse 31. The words of John are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. This account here in John 13 is also recorded in Luke 22. In Mark 14 and Matthew 26, although none of them record the act of foot washing, John is the only one that records that of the four Gospels. And it's interesting that John does not record the bread and the cup. Um, the other three Gospels record that. But it's the same incident here of the Last Supper As we read through that, um, the, especially the, and I know we, we read this portion maybe twice a year, um, but as we read through it, John is very detailed in how he probably wrote this maybe a couple years after this happened, but his, I think you can almost grasp the, as John was thinking back to this time, he's to the detail of what happened. It almost, you can feel you're right there as he, as he remembers what Jesus did um, there. So we read um, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, 
When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. <clears throat> when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit, and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him, that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is, to whom I shall give a sop, when I have dipped it. And when he dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go ye cannot come, so now I say to you. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 
Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. In chapter 12, in uh, verse 23 of that chapter, we read that Jesus said that his hour is here, and that was the first mention that Jesus said his hour was here. All the times before this, he said, mine hour is not yet come. And we read that in the first verse here, that it says, when Jesus knew that his hour was come. So what hour was Jesus talking about here? It was the hour of betrayal the hour of trial, of death, of resurrection, and 24 hours from now, he would be hanging on the cross. That's kind of hard to imagine because um, it seems like it was maybe a while after this, but it was 24 hours from when he knew this that he would be hanging on the cross. And also in verse 1 there it says, that when he knew that his hour was here, it says, having loved his own, it says he loved them unto the end. Now, I, I think, I don't think it's coincidence that it says there he loved his own. Um, and that love there is not a, just a surface, um, superficial love. It was a deep um, love, agape love. Now, Jesus loves everyone, uh, whether they believe or don't believe. Jesus loves them, and Jesus loves his own. That love um, is the same. It's not different. But I think the dynamic of that love relationship of his own, I think, is different. Um, when he loves his own, it has a response. Love answers to love. And then it says that he loved them unto the end. And in the literal, the Greek translation, it says, to the fullest extent. Um, unto the end, to the fullest extent. His love has no limits. Jesus will never stop loving his own. It doesn't come today and it's gone tomorrow. He loved them to the uttermost. And then it says there that supper was ended. Um, they were likely reclining. Um, there's, there's some debate that supper, this is, um, some would say that supper was in progress or supper started. Um, I don't know why John records here that supper was ended. Um, so I kind of think that maybe they were done eating. Um, but they were likely reclining, probably on the floor. Um, probably not on a couch or anything like that. They were probably either um, sitting on the, the floor or laying down. Um, the idea was that they would, they would lay down with their, on their left arm and eat with their right arm um, to a, a little rise table um, where the food was served. And that was likely why later on when um, Peter... 
asked John to ask Jesus. It says there that, that um, well, it doesn't say John there, but the disciple whom Jesus loved um, was leaning on Jesus' bosom. He was probably the closest, if they were laying down or reclining, the closest to Jesus there. Just a um, side thought there till we get there. It's interesting that after John records that he loved them unto the end, the next verse talks about that betrayal of that love. Um, I think Jesus loved Judas just as much here as the other disciples, and now that love will be, be, will be betrayed. The other thing is the chief priests and the Pharisees, as we noticed a lot in John prior to this, the chief priests and the Pharisees were the ones that were wanting to kill Jesus, wanting to get rid of him, arrest him. Um, the chief priests and the Pharisees were the religious folks of the day, and it's interesting that the devil was on their side. Um, now it says here that the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas um, to betray him, I, I don't think that this was an all of a sudden lightning bolt that, that happened. I think Judas probably thought about this for a while. I think Judas probably planned this for a while. Um, Judas probably listened to the devil for a while just like Eve did in the garden. Um, it looked good. Make some extra cash. Um, Judas probably knew that, or I, he probably did, if he caught on that Jesus said many times that he's going to leave, that he's going to be, um, that he's going to be crucified. So if John, or if, if Judas thought through this, um, he knew that this was God's plan, and so why not make a little cash on the side um, while it happens? What is the devil trying to do today? He spoke to Judas. He spoke to Eve. What is the devil busy doing today? And a thing that makes me tremble is how many times do I justify my actions by saying it was a God thing when it was actually the work of the devil? I know that's strong words, but Judas could have said here that God had this planned. I mean, God was in control. Um, we know the whole story, so we know that that's hard to believe, but, but I don't say that to discourage, but to beware. Um, the devil is just at work today as he was in Judas's life and in Eve's life. The first man and woman on the earth listened to the devil, and who am I to think that I am exempt from that? I need to search my own heart. I need to try the spirits, and probably something that I can... Um, asked to stand up against it is who is the one to receive the glory here who is the one to be glorified and judas was thinking about himself um, and jesus was not jesus was looking to to glorify his father jesus knew that this hour was was coming um, in verse three there it says that he knew that god was the one that was um, planning it. Um, we could probably say that Jesus was God, so to speak. Um, he knew what God was going to do. 
and the disciples didn't know what all the probably the details and that it was actually going to happen. And then we get into the foot washing here. Um, and we have a tradition that we normally have foot washing with communion. Um, that we practice twice a year. And uh, I thought it's interesting that one other place in the New Testament that mentions foot washing is in 1 Timothy 5.10. It was a requirement of Paul there when they were taking widows into the church. Um, Paul says it's one of the requirements in a widow that if she have washed the saints' feet. I thought that was interesting. I'll get into a little bit later about uh, why we do it. But here Jesus became a servant. It was culture back then, um, at least to some extent, that when you'd have visitors at your house that you would wash their feet. But the way what Jesus did here um, was not culture. Um, it was after they already ate um, when culture, they would wash when they came into the house. Here, if they did, it's not recorded, but here Jesus institutes something new. In verse 7, he told Peter that what he does, um, Peter doesn't understand now, but he'll know later. So if it was culture, Peter would have known what Jesus was doing. Jesus didn't do this, the act here of foot washing from weakness, um, he wasn't like Jesus was feeling the load and the pressure that he did it out of weakness, but he did it out of all authority. And in Luke 22, where it's recorded of the same incident, other than Luke doesn't record the foot washing part of it, but the bread and the cup, um, that's the last supper here, Luke records that the disciples were arguing who was going to be the greatest. And um, what Jesus did here, was an act of humility. I think he probably taught them greater lessons than if he would have gave them a sermon. In verses 6 through 10, we have um, Peter and Jesus' debate. What did um, Jesus washing Peter's feet have to do with Peter being part of Jesus? What did it matter if Peter did not allow Jesus to wash his feet, why did that have anything to do with him being part of Jesus? I think in Peter's mind, it wasn't that um, he didn't want his feet washed. I think in Peter's mind, it was too low for his master to bend. This was his master and his Lord he was the one to be serving him, not his master serving Peter. Peter had immoderate modesty or a proud humility. If we do not accept the humble service of Jesus, we have no part with him. And the other question that I had here that's not brought up is, did Jesus wash Judas' feet? I'm assuming he did, um, but it's interesting to think about that, that Jesus knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew Judas's heart. 
and he probably washed Judas's feet. Although Judas didn't accept the spiritual cleansing um, that Jesus was offering here. I think if you'd have asked Peter if he would have washed Jesus' feet, I think Peter would have said, absolutely. I think he'd have jumped for the chance. Um, Peter says that he was going to die for him, um, so I think he would do anything for his master. A quote here, if we only serve and refuse to be served, it can be a sign of deeply rooted and well-hidden pride. Another quote, man's humility does not begin with the giving of service, it begins with the readiness to receive it. And that's a hard thing to do, to um, ask for help, um, to have someone maybe in authority over you serve you. Um, In verse 10, there's a little harder to understand what Jesus is trying to say about, um, it was his response to Peter, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. When we believe in Jesus, there is an initial cleansing or a washing of our whole body, a spiritual um, washing. Yet, in a sense, we must daily wash or cleanse our feet um, through confession, um, confessing Christ as Lord, through the washing of the water by the Word. Um, the Word of God has a cleansing effect. And so that may have been part of what Jesus was talking about here is when we believe we are washed, but we still need a daily washing of feet. And the part there of you're clean but not all, probably referring to Judas um, as far as um, him betraying him. After Jesus did this, he sits down and explains to them what he did. And most of the time, Jesus didn't do this, especially with um, the people, the crowds, he did, I think, more often with his disciples. But um, this is one time where Jesus explains plainly what he did and what he meant by washing their feet. Like I said, I think any one of the disciples would have gladly washed Jesus' feet. But to wash each other's feet, now that would be a different story. Jesus told them that you also ought to wash one another's feet. I think you've all heard the saying, um, to live above with saints we love, oh, that would be glory. To live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. I think this is more what Jesus was showing here, that you have to watch, wash each other's feet. The stinky the dirty, the grimy, the cooties. Um, you must wash the dirty part. What would be a lesser service to my brother? I'll leave that question hang there. What would be a lesser service to my brother? 
talks of sacrificial love. I think foot washing should happen more than twice a year. And I'll explain that. I think I have fallen away if I think if I wash feet two times a year, I have done my duty. It is easy for us to criticize those with dirty feet instead of washing them. Spurgeon says, Christ's way is very different. He says nothing, but takes a basin and begins to wash away the stain. Do not judge and condemn, but seek the restoration and the improvement of the airing. And so that's why I say foot washing should happen more than twice a year. Jesus said, you should do as I have done. And then I'll ask this question, does foot washing always happen with a basin, water, and a towel? So we practice foot washing um, along with communion. I think more as a remembrance of doing it. I've read a lot of commentators that say that this is not, um, that what Jesus did here is not to be literal, that this was symbolic, that um, we shouldn't um, practice that today. I think we should. I think it's something, I, as Anabaptists, we take the Bible literal for what it means, and um, I think it's pretty clear here that Jesus says we should practice it. Although there is an aspect of maybe washing feet symbolically. Um, the doctrines of the Bible has a lot to say about it. I'll just say a few points here. You can read more on it in that book if you want to. But why do we have it as an ordinance? It was instituted by divine authority. Jesus instituted it. It resembles the ceremonial feet washing of the Old Testament. And if you look back in the Old Testament, they did it as a ceremony back then. Number three, it was not an old custom. Number four, it was not for cleanliness. Number five, it was a religious ceremony. Verse 16, Jesus says that the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And that was a, kind of a new thought to me because somehow I had this thought that it says that the Lord is not above his servant, um, but that's not what it says. It's kind of, it seems a little bit backwards to think that the servant is not greater than his Lord. I mean, we kind of know that a servant serves his master. It's um, so what is Jesus meaning here? The servant is not greater than his Lord. Um, the slave, another word for servant, the slave is not above his master or the messenger above the message. There is no great rush in the lowly places of service. Happy are you if you seek for them. Be humble, bend low, wash, and be willing to be washed. Allow those 
And I think maybe this is what kind of maybe the idea of what he's trying to say here in verse 16, allow those in the position of authority over you to wash your feet. Maybe not the literal washing feet, but allow those that you look up to as leaders, as those authority people, allow them to serve you. Allow them to wash your feet. They are not greater than you. Most of the rest of the chapter, Jesus reveals the betrayer. In verse 18 there, Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. And I wonder if Jesus said that because I wonder if Jesus knew Judas would betray him even before he asked him to follow him as a disciple. It's kind of a new thought to me, but I wonder if Jesus knew Judas was the betrayer even before he chose him to follow him. Why? Maybe to fulfill scripture. In Psalm 41.9, says pretty much what the last part of verse 18 says there. In Psalm 41.9, it says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, and whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Jesus was referring to that when he said the last part of verse 18 there, that the scripture may be fulfilled. And now he says, I'm going to tell you this, that there's going to be one of you that's going to betray me before it comes to pass, that you may believe that I am he. And I, it, it's, I like it better the way the, how it's translated directly out of the Greek. It says, I am. So he says, I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am. Um, Jesus used that name quite a bit, or at least John records that he used it quite a bit. You may believe that I am. When it's come to pass, when he's on the cross, and they don't know where he's at, they knew that this was going to happen. Verse 20 there says that he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. A little bit harder to understand that verse, but I think what it's saying is Judas would not win. The work of Jesus would continue. And Judas was not rejecting Jesus, but God. And then it says the disciples were doubting of what he spake. Um, they were perplexed. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Were they surprised that one of their own would betray Jesus? The other, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I think, um, say it in a different, uh, the way it happened. They went around the circle and asked, is it I, is it I? And then when it came to Judas, Jesus, he asked, Lord, is it I? And Jesus says, Jesus says it is. So the disciples were surprised here, at least the 11. Um, I doubt that Judas was surprised by Jesus saying this. Judas was probably determined already that he probably already made a deal 
with the chief priests. Um, and so Judas wasn't surprised here. Verse 23 there, I kind of mentioned that earlier, says that one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was leaning there on Jesus' bosom. Um, I think it's pretty certain um, that that's John. John, the one that wrote this story. He didn't mention his name there. But John was the closest to Jesus, at least physically at this um, time. And so Peter somehow pokes John or somehow um, gets him to ask Jesus who this betrayer is. And then we have the, where Jesus takes this sop. This sop here is a morsel of bread. Uh, I'm not sure why um, it's called a sop, but um, it's a morsel of bread here that Jesus takes and hands to Judas. This act of giving a morsel of bread to Judas was a token of respect and love. This is ultimate love when you treat your betrayer with royalty. I think it's easy to criticize Judas, and Judas definitely had a responsibility here. He had a part to play in it, but it's also Scripture being fulfilled Satan was controlling Judas, but Satan was not in control of the events. I think that's critical to understand. Satan was controlling Judas here, but Satan was not in control of what happened. God was and still is. So after Jesus hands Judas, shows him some love. Um, I don't know if we have here... Everything recorded, what maybe Jesus says to Judas. I think it, maybe it was one last chance for Judas to believe. And Judas refuses to believe, and um, he goes out, and it says it was night. That stuck out to me. Um, I mean, I, Judas went out, and it was night. It seems like it's symbolic of what was going to happen. Evil deeds happen in the darkness. Where there is no light, temptations are fierce. The works of darkness are, sat are satanic. Jesus said, I am the light. It was night when Judas went out. In 31 and 32 there, there's five references to glorified it says glorified, 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 and then glorify and glorify. God will be glorified. I think Jesus was confirming to his disciples, God will be glorified. Not Jesus, not Peter, not Daniel, not any one of you will be glorified. Jesus gloried in the cross. In Galatians 6.14, I don't have the direct, um, how it's said here, but Paul here says he will not glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus gloried in the cross. Verse 33, Jesus calls them little children. And in my own translation, he says, I'm going to be leaving shortly. 
Within 24 hours, I will be hanging on the cross. You cannot go with me. And I wonder what the disciples thought. It's been three years plus of following Jesus. They pretty much um, left their families, left their careers, left their occupations, and they went and followed Jesus. And now Jesus says, you cannot go with me. Where I'm going, you can't go. But in verse 36, he says that later you will come. I don't think the disciples really understood what Jesus was talking about. I'm sure it was a disappointment to them that they cannot go with. Peter definitely said, I'm going. Um, if I have to die with you, I'm going. And then I think 34 and 35, I think, are the climax of John 13. I think this was the whole thrust, the theme of what Jesus did prior to this. He says, a new commandment, that you love one another. And then he says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. All men will know. I'm going to read a few verses out of Galatians. I read this on Wednesday night, but I think it goes a lot with um, what John is saying here. In Galatians 5, verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But... If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And then in verse 26, let us not be desirous of vain glory. I think if we're not loving, we're looking for glory. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Going to chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, brethren. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then verse 2 here, I think, is what Jesus was talking about. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ here was that ye love one another. True love does not look for glory. True sacrificial love makes everyone's load much lighter. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. True sacrificial love makes everyone's load much lighter. The new commandment here that Jesus was talking about was not to love Jesus. It was to love one another. There should be a special presence of love among the followers of Jesus. Even though he says here a new commandment, the commandment to love wasn't new. 
but the extent of the love displayed by Jesus was new. And, the, and what would happen in the next 24 hours was new, that love. That love would seem harsh. All his disciples would end up running. It meant death on a cross. It seemed cruel, seemed cold, it seemed dark. It would be painful, and many were offended. But Jesus obeyed out of love for his Father and for us. So what is my love like? There is a command to love our neighbor like ourselves, um, but to love our neighbor like ourselves, um, we are to love our fellow Christians as Christ loved us, and that is far more than we can love ourselves. The mark of a disciple is his love for the saints, the one sitting next to me in my pew. It doesn't mean that love for the lost or the outside world is not important or relevant, but it wasn't first. A century after the gospel was, this gospel was published, so a hundred years after John published his gospel here, Tertullian reports that the pagans of his day said of Christians, see how they love one another. What do the all men, in quotes, say of believers' fellowship? In conclusion, the whole theme, I think, of John 13, and maybe of Jesus' whole life, was to love one another. Christ showed it by his act of foot washing and his relationship to Judas and his relationship to his disciples. He not only taught to love one another, but he lived it even to the cross. I read this earlier, but Jerome says that John, this is talking about um, John toward the end of his life, he reached about 100 years old, and says, Jerome says that John continued preaching when he was so enfeebled with old age that he was obliged to be carried into the assembly, and that, not being able to deliver any long discourse, his custom was to say in every meeting, my dear children, love one another. And you can read more about that in First John. Um, the same John wrote that about loving one another. Let's kneel for prayer.